0: Well, good morning. It's great to see you all. Are you happy to be here? You are? That's good. I don't know about you. And speaking of the weather, but hasn't it just been the most incredible 10 days Odds, 30 degrees? Like It's been amazing. I think I've spent more time in the water the last three days than I have the last three years. It's been amazing. And if you're anything like me, Doesn't this weather just get you so excited for the holidays? It's like, oh, we're nearly there. It's like, oh, it's classic Kiwi summer. I can't wait. Singlets all day, getting sunburned out on the beach. It's going to be amazing. But of course, before we get to our holidays, we have to go through the most wonderful time of the year. That is Christmas. Christmas. Can you believe we're at December 2017 already? The Christmas tree's up in the foyer, there's carols being sung, there's decorations up in the mall, we're here, it's Christmas already. Now, I'll just be honest a little bit, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with this season. right? I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Christmas. Like I love it, it's amazing, it's fun, it's friends, it's family, you get to spend the whole day eating amazing food, you get to spend time together, have a big party, it's an amazing time, but it's also traffic, busy malls, it's family, it's people posting soppy things on Facebook about their year in review and all this kind of stuff. It's, going, it's trying to go to Rickett and Mall, but you end up just parking in your own driveway because you can't find a park. It's standing in line and being cut in by about seven other people, and you're just sitting there going, oh, this is the most wonderful time of the year. I love it. But I do. I really love Christmas. But obviously, as Christians, we know that Christmas is so much more than those things. We know that Christmas is so much more than those things. It's a season of hope and of joy and of peace. And I know that that does say hope, not nope. Uh, It's hope, joy, and peace. (laughs) You're not going to listen to me for the rest of the sermon now. (laughs) Of hope, joy, and peace. But for some people, that is not the reality of Christmas. For some people, that is not... The reality of Christmas. Perhaps for you this morning, that is not your reality of Christmas. For some people, Christmas is a time of loss, remembering things that maybe have happened. For others, it's a time of loneliness. For others, it can be a time of disappointment, Christmas can mean many different things. I remember being disappointed one Christmas, right? This was a particular Christmas. I think I was about eight years old. I worked it out this morning, right? And there was something I really wanted that Christmas. I wanted this thing so, so badly. And so being the dedicated, spirit-filled, faith-filled young Christian lad that I was, I spent that entire week leading up to Christmas fervently praying for this thing fervently faith-filled prayers. Every, like, as an eight-year-old, 10-minute-long prayers. I would turn my bedroom every night into a prayer meeting. I'd be jumping around in my pajamas, praising God, declaring I was gonna get this thing. I'd be speaking out scripture. You know, God, you work for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your purpose. Thank you that you're gonna give me this thing this Christmas. I spent the whole week leading up to Christmas praying that I would wake up on Christmas morning and I would be Spider-Man that I would be Spider-Man. You see, I was, a big, I was a big fan of superheroes as a kid. I still am a big he- fan of superheroes. And this was, see, my birthday is a month or so before Christmas. It's in November. It's the middle of November. It's actually November 17th, if you want to put that in your calendars for next year. But it was my birthday, and... My parents rented out a DVD for us to watch that evening, and it was the first Spider-Man movie, the original 2002 Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie for us to watch. And we watched it, and it was epic. I loved it so much. I hadn't been allowed to see it in the theaters in case it was a bit too scary, so they went first, they saw it, they gave it a thumbs up, so they got it out for us to watch on my birthday birthday. And it was awesome. I loved it so much. And I wanted to be Spider-Man. The thought of being able to climb on walls and fight and shoot webs and everything. And so I thought, right, well, I'm going to pray that Christmas, I'm going to be Spider-Man. So I had it all planned out for God. I said, you know, all right, God, it's on Christmas Eve night. Like, that's when you're going to give me the powers. So if you have to send a little radioactive spider to come and bite me, that's fine. I'm okay with that. That's all good. And obviously, God, every superhero needs a suit. And so, Lord, you know, you created the heavens and the earth. From your voice, you brought creation into being. This is nothing for you. You know, you can do this. In fact, your word says that your name is Jehovah Jireh. So I know you can provide me with a suit that I need. And I'm gonna wake up on Christmas morning and there's gonna be a Spider-Man suit at the end of my bed. I'm gonna be ready to go. It sounds ridiculous, but I'm telling the truth. And so, can you imagine the horror the horror and the disappointment of after praying for a whole week and waking up on Christmas morning and I wasn't Spider-Man. I wasn't Spider-Man. There was no suit at the end of my bed. I remember even waking up and going like this, (laughs) trying to see if I could shoot webs. This was how convinced I was, but nothing. There was nothing. I wasn't Spider-Man, I wasn't even a superhero. I was disappointed. I was disappointed. However, I did get over my disappointment pretty quickly because I think when you spend a week in prayer with God, he's able to work on your heart a little bit. And he was able to show me, maybe, Jono, that's not something you should be dedicating so much prayer life towards. But I will have you know that God did answer my prayer because while I'm not Spider-Man, I am Superman to my wife. (laughs) Just throw that in there. Thank you, I'll go, I'll sit down now. (laughs) All right, where's the suit? Yeah, let's not go there. But the thing is, so many of us do face those situations. (laughs) Take a deep breath, it's all right. Take a deep breath. The thing is, so many of us do face those situations. Maybe not as trivial as what I just shared, but we do face disappointments. When things don't go as planned we get a gift, we think it's one thing, we open it up and it's not what we wanted. Maybe we're not where we wanted to be when we look back five years from now and things haven't worked out the way they thought they were going to. We face so many of these disappointments in our life and if we're not careful, then these disappointments can eventually rob us of our hope. They can rob us of our hope. And as we go into this Christmas season, it's a good chance to remind ourselves that one of Jesus' primary missions, one of one of the primary main reasons that Christmas exists, one of the main reasons Jesus came to this earth was to bring hope to humanity. It was to bring hope to me and to you. Jesus came to give us hope. Yet we only have to look at the news headlines from all around the world. We only have to look at the poverty, look at the wars, Look at the way we engage with each other on social media. Look at the way that people speak about various political leaders around the world. We only have to look at various missile tests from certain dictators. We only have to look at the suicide stats in our own nation, the youth suicide stats here in Canterbury. You don't have to look far to realize people don't have much hope. They don't have much hope. I'm sure you all agree with me this morning that our world needs hope. It needs hope. There are so many people in our world, there are so many people in your world who don't have any hope. And there's a particular woman in the Bible that I'd like to look at this morning who also went through the same situation. She went through disappointment. She went through loss. She found herself in a hopeless situation. And she's found in the book of Ruth. So Ruth is a small wee book in the middle of the Old Testament. It's only four chapters long, and it's sandwiched, almost hidden away, in between two larger books. Before it, you've got the book of Judges, which is 21 chapters long. And then after it, you've got the book of 1 Samuel, which is a hearty 31 chapters long. But almost hidden in the middle is this four-chapter, seemingly insignificant book called Ruth. And in this book is a woman called Naomi. And I'm not going to read out much of the book because that's going to take too long, but I'll just give you a bit of an overview. So the story picks up at Naomi and her husband and their two sons. And they live in the nation of Israel. They live in the nation of Israel, but Israel experiences a severe famine. A famine comes and sweeps the land and they run out of food. They run out of all their crops. They die and all that. And so the nation experiences this famine. And so with nothing left for them, they decide to pack up and move to the neighboring nation of Moab, it was the next door. So they decide to pack up. They move their family over there. But while they're in Moab, their two sons, they grow up, they meet some ladies, they get married, and they start their own family. However, shortly after, we're told that Naomi's husband passes away. Naomi's husband passes away. We're not told how or why or whatever the circumstances were around it, but just that he passes away. Now, I'm sure it's difficult enough to lose a loved one like that. It's difficult enough to lose your husband, to lose your spouse. But in those days, it was the husband's responsibility to protect and provide for his family. He, was the sole, he had sole responsibility to make sure that Naomi had everything she needed and that she was protected. But if he was for whatever reason to pass away, then having sons ensured that that was someone who the responsibility could fall to. So she had two sons. So if he was to pass away, the responsibility could fall to them. So for Naomi, she had a great deal of security by having a husband and two sons. But in the next sentence, we're told that her sons pass away too. So all in a short space of time, that security is gone, completely gone. And now she's left with nothing but loss, disappointment, and her two daughters In law. She's not just dealing with the grief of losing her family, but losing her future as well. She's completely hopeless. And so, with nothing left for her in Moab, she decides to move back to her home in Israel. She decides to relocate back to her family, to her hometown, and her daughters-in-law go, well, there's nothing else for us, so we're just going to go with you, so they decide to start packing up, and they begin to come with her, but she tells them, no, don't come back with me, there's nothing for you with me, there's no future with you, um, with me, so don't come back, stay here, find another husband, and you'll be okay. In fact, listen to the language she uses, return home, my daughters, I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me. Can you hear the pain? Even if I thought there was still hope for me. I can't even conceive of getting out of this situation right now. I can't even begin to imagine having hope for my future again. But the thing is, the sad reality is that that is the internal dialogue of so many people in our world, even if I thought there was still hope for me even if I thought there was still hope for me. And in our lives, so often when we face disappointments, when we face hurts, when we face offenses, maybe we do something that we're not proud of, we do something we're not ashamed of, when things in life come that shake our foundations a little bit, when they come and rattle us, we either do one of two things. We either run away from church or we run towards church. We either run away from God or we run towards God. Because you see, the enemy wants to cause you to run away from church, to run away from God. He'll tell you what Naomi tells her daughters. No, I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope, For me, he'll say, no, you're too old. You've done it for sure this time. It's completely over. No, you're too young. The rest of your life has damaged now. You can't do anything of significance. Even if there was still hope for you, that church will never accept you. They'll never love you. Even if there was still hope for you, God won't have you back. You've completely done it this time. The enemy will lie to you to get you to run away from those things, to run away from church or run away from God. He'll do his best to rob you of your hope because he knows that Jesus said it's the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. It's the sick that need a doctor, not the healthy. The enemy knows that the church is not a place full of perfect people. He knows that it's a gathering of imperfect people who recognize their need for a doctor. It's a gathering of imperfect people recognizing their need for Jesus, going, no, there is still hope for me. There is still hope for you. And so when disappointments in life come, the enemy wants you to run away from God. And in the story, that is what one of Naomi's daughters does. When Naomi says, no, go back, she says, okay, I'm going to go back. But one of them doesn't, and that's Ruth, who this book is named after. She insists on following Naomi back to Israel, back to her hometown to take care of her. And she says this, she says, your land will be my land, and your God will be my God. I've faced loss, I've faced disappointment, but I'm going to run towards God, not away from him. And so they make it back to Naomi's hometown. And upon arrival, the word starts to spread that they're back. You know, this is Naomi's family, her home where she grew up. And so people are excited. And so you can listen to it here. It says, when they arrived, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she said. See, Naomi means pleasant. It means sweet. But she says, call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. You can hear the hopelessness in her voice again. Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Don't call me sweet, but call me Mara. Call me bitter, because my life is bitter. She can't even recognize herself anymore when she looks at herself and goes, this is not who I thought I was gonna be. This is not where I thought I was gonna be. Who am I anymore? And I don't know many people nowadays who have been so hopeless that they've decided to change their name, but there are many people in our world who've gotten so hopeless that they've decided to take their own life. They've gotten to that point. I don't even recognize myself anymore. This is not where I wanted to be. This is not how I thought things were gonna turn out. I'm in such a pit of loss and hopelessness that they cannot recognize themselves anymore and they take their own life. Our world needs hope. It needs hope. But what is hope? What is hope? Because we all know that there are people in our world who desperately need it. I can feel the agreement in the room When I say that our world needs hope, I can just feel the response. Something within us resounds when we say our world needs hope. There's a yes in our spirit. Our heart goes, it does. But when we stop and think about it, what is hope really? What do we say, what do we mean when we say we need hope? Because I hope that this weather continues for the rest of summer. I hope that the black caps get better at playing cricket I hope that a new episode of my favorite TV show is out when I get home from church today. I hope that my new Instagram post gets more than 50 likes. Is that the hope that people need? Is that the hope we're talking about? The Oxford Dictionary defines hope like this, a feeling of expectation and desire for a particular thing to happen. It's like, well, that just covers what I just said. I desire that this weather continues for the rest of summer. I expect that a new episode of my favorite TV show will be out. I desire that my Instagram post gets more likes. So to me, that only seems like half the picture. So let's go back to our story, looking at Naomi. So Naomi and Ruth, they've settled back into Israel. They've gotten back into the routine, they're back in her hometown, and Ruth decides, being the younger one, that she needs to go out and provide for the family. So she decides to go out and starts collecting grain from a nearby field that's being harvested, because God had actually implemented social welfare into the nation of Israel. It was required by law that as during the harvest, as people were going along collecting their grain, if bits of grain fell off their bundles or were missed by when they picked it up, they weren't allowed to go back and pick it up. They had to leave it there so that the poor and the needy could come along behind them and pick them up to take them home to feed their families. So God had implemented social welfare into the nation of Israel. And so Ruth is doing just this. She's going along, collecting as much grain as she can, probably scavenging for hours, just picking up any bits and bobs she can find. But it just so happens that this field belongs to a man named Boaz, belongs to a man named Boaz. And Boaz, being a good boss, he turns up to his field to check up on how things are going. He turns up to check on the progress of the harvest, see how his workers are getting along, making sure they're okay. And clearly in this passage, we see that Ruth is a looker, right? Because he sees Ruth in the field. And I can just imagine it. She's down there in the grain, the sun's setting behind her, the hair's flowing. And he's like, who is she? And he asks the worker, who is she? I need her number. Like, come and, you know, hook me up. And so he goes over to his worker and says, who is she? And his worker begins to explain to him uh, the story of where she's come from, the fact that she's related to Naomi, that she's left her home nation to be here with Naomi, and that she's scavenging to feed her family. And Boaz is so stricken by this story. He's so moved with compassion that he calls her over and he says, look, you just have free reign in this field. All right, anything you can scavenge, you just go wild. You don't have to be ashamed. You don't have to be afraid. You just get as much as you can carry. In fact, I've told the guards to make sure that you're protected. Make sure that no one will lay a hand on you. If you need a drink, go over to the well. The boys will hook you up. You'll be fine. In this field, while you're under my care, you will be protected and provided for. You will be protected and provided for. Again, she's got a protector and a provider. Notice God's way of beginning to restore to her What had been lost when tragedy struck when loss came when disappointment came she said i'm going to run towards god Not away from him and god is beginning to again restore to her what she had lost Her story didn't have to be about her loss. Her story could be about her response to the loss And our lives can have many disappointments, they can have troubles along the way, we can face loss, and when we face disappointments, we have to decide, is my life going to be be defined by that situation? Is it going to be defined by my disappointment, by my loss, or could my life be defined by something else? Could my life be defined with how I respond to those things? And so Ruth gets the VIP treatment from Boaz and she, you know, gathers as much as she can and she heads back to Naomi, probably with a bit more of a spring in her step than she's had in a long time. And so she goes back to Naomi and begins to tell her about this wonderful man, about how he looked after her and he said, you know, you just have as much as you want from my field. And Naomi's so amazed and she's, she's so happy because as it turns out, and she explains to Ruth, well, she asks him, who was this man? He sounds amazing, like, who, who was he? And she goes, oh, his name is Boaz. And at that point, Naomi's so happy. She's so overjoyed because she goes, oh, Boaz is our relative. He's actually related to me. We're a close relative. He's from my family line. And she tells Ruth that Boaz is actually what they called a guardian redeemer. Boaz was a guardian redeemer. Let me just explain that for a bit. In those days, when a man fell into hard times, you know, if he fell into debt and he couldn't pay it off and he was forced into a situation where he had to sell his land, sell his possessions in order to pay it off, his nearest relative was what was called a guardian redeemer. And the guardian redeemer had the first right to buy the land before it went out onto the open market. He could step in and purchase the land off his relative to keep it from being bought and owned by a different family or a different tribe. It was a way of keeping per- property and possessions within the family. It was a way of keeping wealth within the family. It wasn't an obligation or an expectation. He didn't have to do it. If he was going to do it, it was going to be done out of grace. It was going to be done out of grace. And so Boaz was their guardian redeemer. So Ruth continues to gather wheat from Boaz's field. And as the days and weeks and months go by, they begin to grow a little bit closer and closer. You know, Boaz comes down to check on the field that little bit more often. Ruth starts to say a little bit later once all the other workers have gone. You know, they start talking about each other and talking to each other a little bit more. And you know how you can just see relationships forming? You can just notice it. I think it's, I imagine it's probably the case as a parent. You know, this person's just texting that other person a little bit more. That person's coming up in conversation a little bit more. They're going to hang out a little bit more. And you can see these relationships forming. I see this all the time in my role as a youth pastor, not just in the youth, but in the leaders. And they think they're being really discreet about it, but actually everyone else is in on what's happening. We can see it. We know. We're all for it. And so you can see these relationships forming. And so Boaz and Ruth begin to form this relationship and Naomi catches wind of it. She starts to see it forming. You know, Ruth's talking about Boaz at home a little bit more. She's noticing that she's staying out of the field that little bit longer. And so I can imagine that she's just waiting for Boaz to make the first move. She's going, come on, buddy, gird your loins, go out, you know, propose, it's gonna be all right, just do it. She's waiting for him to make the first move, but for whatever reason, he doesn't. For whatever reason, he doesn't do it. And so as all good mothers do, she begins to meddle in her child's business (laughs) and she decides to take matters into her own hands. So she pulls Ruth aside and says, Ruth, look, you're interested in him. He's interested in you. Just go down. He's taking too long. Make your intentions known and get on with it. So Ruth goes down to Boaz and says, look, I am your servant." Ruth, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. In other words, if you like it, put a ring on it. Marry me, take my possessions and our land, be my husband. And Boaz is delighted. He says, I will, I will take the property. I will pay for it with my own money and I will take responsibility for you as my wife. But that actually also included Naomi. So he wasn't just taking the property and the land in Ruth, but he was taking Naomi as well. Imagine if that was the deal you had to make on your wedding day. Yep, you get the bride, but the mother comes too. Like It's all part of the package. But when you take a step back and you look at what he's actually doing, this is not just a small act of kindness. Now, Anna and I, we just bought a house recently. It is not cheap. And he is forking out all this money out of his own wealth to purchase this property, but he's saying that I will protect and provide for Ruth, who, remember, is a foreigner. She's from Moab, from a pagan culture. No, it was scandalous enough for Jesus to talk to the Samaritan woman, let alone Boaz wanting to marry Ruth and bring her into his home. No respectable Jewish man would want a foreign wife. And as a matter of fact, it turns out that Boaz wasn't the first in line. There was another guardian redeemer who was, had first claim to the property. And he was being honorable. He said, look, I have to give it to them first. I have to give them the option. So he presents it to that man. And this man says, no, I don't want the stigma of that. I won't have the foreigner. I can't redeem that. You do. But Boaz says, I will love who no one else will love. I will redeem who no one else will redeem. And so he takes possession of the property and he takes Ruth as his wife. Ruth and Naomi, again, have the protection and the provision. They have security of a future. They have hope, again. They have hope because there was someone willing to redeem them. They have hope because there was someone willing to redeem them. So what is hope? As I asked earlier, what is hope? And at this point, you might be going, Jono, we're supposed to be talking about Christmas. Why are you speaking from the book of Ruth? Where's the nativity? Well, as it turns out, Naomi's hometown... Was Bethlehem. was Bethlehem. And Ruth ends up giving birth to a child to Boaz, whose name is Obed. And Obed grows up to have a child who he names Jesse. And Jesse grows up to have a child who he names David, who grows up to become King David of the nation of Israel. And from David's royal line, we have the birth of Jesus. From a hopeless situation, from a situation of disappointment, from a situation of loss, God was able to bring out the hope of the world, the light of the world. Will you allow your life to be defined by your loss, or will your life be defined by your response to the situations you're faced with? When disappointments come, when hard times come, will you run away from God, or will you run towards God? Hope is John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life Hope is John 10 verse 10. I, being Jesus, have come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. Have it abundantly. Have it full of hope, full of joy, and full of peace. Hope is John 2 verse 10. I bring you good news that will cause great joy to all people. Today in the town of David, today in the town of Bethlehem, today in Naomi's hometown, a Savior has been born. Hope is the reality that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ was born in a manger in Bethlehem. He came to die a death that would pay the penalty for all our sins and our mistakes. He came to show us the extent God was willing to go to redeem us. He came to say, I will be your guardian redeemer. I will love who no one else will love. I will redeem who no one else will redeem. That is the hope that our world needs. That is the hope that you carry. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, that is the hope that you carry wherever you go. into any situation you go, you can change the atmosphere because of the hope you bring. You can change the way people speak because of the hope you bring. That is the hope we can communicate this Christmas, that Jesus came that you and I could have hope. That we could have hope. Can I invite the band back up as we come to a close? There's something in this story that I hadn't noticed up until just recently. I've read this story many times. I've heard this story many times. But this is something that only just jumped out at me. And that is, why didn't Naomi just go straight to Boaz? Why didn't Naomi just go straight to Boaz? You see, when Ruth first tells Naomi about this man named Boaz, she already knew who he was. She already knew who he was. She knew that he was a good man. She knew her relationship to him, the fact that he had the power to be their redeemer. Listen to this. It says, Ruth, this is Ruth speaking here at first. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing kindness to the living and the dead. She added, this man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. So Naomi already knew who Boaz was. And she even knew that he was a good man, that he'd not not stopped showing kindness throughout his whole life. She knew that Boaz was her guardian redeemer and yet she was still so hopeless. She knew about him. She knew what he was capable of. She even knew he was a good person. But when tragedy struck, when disappointment came, when loss came, she was still in such a pit of hopelessness. And as I was reading it, I realized that it was only until she had a personal relationship with Boaz that she found her hope again. It was only until she had a personal relationship with Boaz, a personal relationship with her Redeemer, that she found hope again. And many people in our world, they know about Jesus. They know about Jesus. They even know what he claims to be. Some will even admit, yeah, he was a good man. He had good teachings. We should maybe follow some of his teachings. He had some good insights. They'll admit he was a good person, but yet they still don't have hope. Because it's not until you have a personal relationship with him that you can have hope. It's not until you have a personal relationship with your Redeemer, your Guardian Redeemer, that you can find the hope that we know the world needs. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't have that hope that we've been talking about, maybe you're sitting here and your, your internal thoughts are, well, even if there was still hope for me, even if I thought there was still hope for me, then I'm here to say there is still hope for you. There is still hope for you his name is Jesus and is what christmas is all about. You might feel like you're a lost cause. You might feel like you're too far away from God. But He came to say that you could have hope, that you could have hope for a future. He came to say, I will love you when no one else will love you. I will redeem you when no one else can. This is a hope that when you have it, that even when you face loss, even when you face disappointments, this is a hope that will cause you to run towards church, not away from it. A, a, a hope that will cause you to run towards God, not away from Him, going, God, you are my source of strength. You are my source of hope. You are my source of joy and of peace. And when these things come that come against me, I'm running towards my source of hope, not away from Him. I will run towards God, not away from Him. Because just like Boaz, he paid the price. He paid the debt. He took the debt upon himself. He says, I will be your guardian redeemer. I will be your protector and your provider. And if this morning you don't have this hope, if you don't have this relationship with Jesus, you can start today. You can start today, right now. You don't have to continue living without hope. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness, have it in all its abundance, have it full of hope, have it full of joy, have it full of peace. Jesus said, I've come that you could have freedom, that you could know there's a God who loves you, know that when he looks at you, he's captivated by you. Just like Boaz, when he saw Ruth in the field, he was so captivated by her. He didn't care about her past. He didn't care about where she came from, what she had done, where she was, any of that. He just saw and says, man, I love that. And when God looks at you, he adores you. He doesn't see your past, your mistakes, the things that you think disqualify you. He sees you and he's captivated by you. And this morning, that is the hope that we need to carry. This Christmas, there are many people in our world who don't have this hope, this reality of a relationship with Jesus. And this morning, if you are one of those people, then as everyone just closes their eyes, just as a matter of eliminating distractions, if you don't have this relationship with your Redeemer, then in a moment, I'm gonna read out a prayer and all you have to do is just accept it in your heart. Just speak it out loud inside yourself and just agree with what I say. And it goes like this. Lord Jesus, I open my heart and accept you as my savior. I accept you as my guardian redeemer. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Forgive me for my sins and mistakes. Come and be the Lord of my life. I am yours and I belong to you. I choose to follow you and your plan for my life. Amen. Amen. If you were here and you prayed that prayer, then after the service, as you're heading out, the hosts have, will be standing at the door with these. And this is just a little fly which has a little bit of information around that decision. It tells you a little bit about who Jesus is and the next steps you can take. So can I encourage you, if you prayed that prayer in your heart, make sure you grab one of those, but also make sure you don't leave without talking to someone. Come and chat to one of the team down the front. Talk to someone else. But as we sing this next song, can I ask that if, we don't, if you don't have this hope, there's a chance for us to be re-energized with it. There's a world that needs hope. And Jesus said to us, go and make disciples. I will build my church. And that is our responsibility. We can carry hope. We can carry it into any situation we're going. So as we're singing this next song, let's ask God to give us that courage to go, I'm going to be a carrier of hope this Christmas.